Hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 208. So glad you could join me. Uh, today's guest, Pedro Portovin, is here. He'll be with us in just a few minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been a continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this. We love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed. Ring the bell for notifications. Leave reviews. I guess the most important thing on iTunes is to follow, so just make sure you're following us. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, like follow us on iTunes, and that's the most important thing to boost our algorithm and make sure that poetry is spread around the internet. And when you hear about uh, anything, topics related to poetry or these poets that we have every week, they'll show up in people's podcast feeds and that'd be a nice thing so do make sure you're following us on itunes and spotify and all of those things now uh, before we begin with the main poet we always start with a news poem and robin turner couldn't be here today but she had a beautiful poem um little bird uh, and i'll read her note to start with a really short note uh right here um there we go um, she says, a poem of gratitude for my husband, his good heart in a time of great personal loss, of grief for our burning world and fear for the fragile future of American democracy. And that's what Robin had to say about this beautiful poem. Um, and of course, the, the link there is to the mugshots of Trump and all the other uh, people that were indicted this week. So that was a news story that inspired this poem, as well as personal things. And what we love about Poetry Spawn always is bringing news and the personal and the music of poetry in all into one object. And that's what we have here with Robin Turner's Little Bird for Artie. The hottest month of the hottest year on record. August in Texas, unrelenting. Mother had just had died just the month before. My mother, the world kept burning. And on the news, on our phones, all week the photos of treasonous men, their arrogant mugshots marrying every screen, suffocating each sensible citizen. How to breathe through the heat, through the spin and the grief. How to rescue from harm what one loves. When a red-feathered bird crashed into our window, it fell like a stone and lay motionless. Little bird, you said, and stepped out to the porch, bent to stroke, to tap-tap her still chest. Brought ice, brought tenderness, prayed mercy. In the morning you spared me from shoveling parched earth and gave up the lost creature to ground. You knew, knew I would not be able to bury her. One more once beautiful thing. And that was uh, Sunday's poem. That beautiful ending is what sold the poem. I, I loved the poem in the first place as we were moving in and then uh, that that last line is just one of those ones that that sticks with you and hits home so thanks so much for sharing that robin that was robin turner with little bird and now uh, right away we're gonna take a quick break and go to our main guest pedro poitivin so sit tight and uh, i'll make sure everything's working i'll be right back with pedro And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Like I said, today's guest is Pedro Poitivin. Pedro is a mathematician, translator, and bilingual poet living in Salem, Massachusetts. His Spanish-language book of poems titled um, Purple Ejidas, Ejidas uh, was published by Cooperative La Poplin in early 2015 in Mexico. His columns and poems in Spanish have appeared in Letras Libres, Partisan Magazine, 
um, many other venues. His first book in English, Nowhere at Home, was just published by Penarag Press. I have it right here. It features many traditional forms, including uh, palindromic and self-describing poetry, all sorts of wonderful stuff in this book. You know, if you, if you follow the Rattlecast, you know that I love formal verse. Wish we had more of it. Um, to publish because it's a very small percentage of what we get in submissions. But uh, here he is, Pedro Poitavin, with this wonderful book. Hey, Pedro, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's really my pleasure having you on. I've, I'm, I've looked forward, you know, I've enjoyed your work so much and all the creative things you do in poetry. So it's really cool to have you on and, and to look through this book and how many different forms and how much experimenting and, and playful um, ways you have of approaching poetry. It's going to be really fun looking through these poems today. Uh, do you want to start with one of them? Sure, thank you. Uh, I will begin with uh, the opening poem in the, in the book, which is called Under the Bedroom Skylight. Scanning the sky this way and that to keep the light those distant galaxies emit, we sense our insignificance, how time dissolves like snow on seawater. We peek beyond Andromeda and dream a wolf gazes at us with quasar eyes and loops around while night unwinds the cosmic spool. We lie intent on stillness, but still flow. We seem to stay together, but we part. And as we spiral into mindless doom, our fingers meet and weave a mellow mood that thaws the rim of Morpheus's strap. Your index leads the way through clouds and peels away the layers of darkness till we sleep. Yeah, beautiful poem there. That was Under the Bedroom Skylight. Uh, the opening poem to Pedro Portovin's new book, Nowhere at Home, from Penarac Press. Um, and, and Pedro, it's just fascinating to have a mathematician on who is also a poet. I think that's the first. We've had a couple um, astrophysicists. We've had some biologists. We've never had a mathematician before. And uh, can you explain a little bit about your journey into poetry through, through math? I mean, was it, what, did the poem come first, or, or how do those interests connect? That's an excellent question. I, I, I grew up in a, in a family of, uh, of people who were literary and in the humanities. My, my grandfather was a poet, uh, uh, and uh, my uncle was a poet as well. There were several poets in, in the family. In fact, my great-grandmother was also a poet and a self-taught mathematician, as it turns out. Hmm. Um, and um, I was the sort of like the black sheep of the family, in that I decided to follow the path of mathematics rather than the path of uh, of, of the humanities. Um, but uh, when I came to the U.S. and uh, I, I did my PhD in math, I, I, I worked as a mathematician. And about 12, 13 years ago, um, I began playing on Twitter at that time. Mm-hmm. That, I think this was 2009. And... Um, there, there, there was a, a vibrant community of of uh, poets who were playing around with palindromes, so um, texts that you can read forwards and backwards in the same the same way. So there's symmetric sequences of of, of letters, and it turned out that I was I was good at that. Um, I approached it like an algebraic problem, right? Like I, I was trying to solve an equation <laughs> of sorts, and um, and uh, Little by little, 
um, I began to discover the 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 beauty of of or rediscover the beauty of poetry. I grew up listening to my grandfather declaim poems of Quevedo, for example, who is one of the great poets of the Spanish language, by heart. And so I, I, I was familiar with the music and it meant something to me. Um, and little by little, I regained that love of, of poetry and, uh, and, and liberated myself from the straitjacket of the palindrome and started writing sonnets and, and other forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it said kind of frequently that, that, you know, math is the poetry of the natural world and thing, things like that. Um, do, do you feel that way? Is there a, a connection? Like, what is, what is the love of math? How does that relate to poetry? How are the two similar? I mean, there is a kind of, um, there's a way that like great poems sort of click at the end of them, you know, and you feel like that the rightness in the same way. I took, I took a few um, as an undergraduate advanced math classes where it was mostly like theorem based and, and trying to solve um, you know, like discover pie yourself and things like that. And, um, and there's a way that when you finally get these like math, these massive equations to click and it like adds up and both sides of the equa- equal sign are like, right. There is that feeling of like, it clicks together like a poem does when it's like perfectly done. Um, is, is that the way that it relates? How do you feel like, like math, math and poetry relate as subject of interest? That's an excellent question. I think that there are many different ways in which they relate and they differ, of course. Um, um, there, there is a, a preoccupation with precision in mathematical language. So you, you want to cast away, um, uh, you, you know, ambiguity. But in poetry, you actually cultivate ambiguity to some degree, even though precision is a very valued poetic uh, attribute in, 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 in writing. Uh, but I think that one of the deepest connections, and I don't mean that these are tight connections, but they're deep connections uh, between mathematics and poetry, is that both of them, I think, are systems of symbolic manipulation um, that, 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 that work best when they render things that are apparently dissimilar similar like they reveal the similarity between concepts or ideas or images that are dissimilar in in the first approach so in mathematics some of the deepest theorems are theorems that connect ideas that seem completely disparate and in in poetry i think that something similar happens Hmm. that we are manipulating symbols language in order to reveal something to us to ourselves Hmm. and to others um, so I, I, I think that that's one connection. Another is the layerings of meaning in, in, in mathematics. Um, one of the deepest theorems of the 20th century was Gettle's incompleteness theorem, which reveals that there's a deep connection between syntax and, uh, and, and, and the semantics of arithmetic. And it's very complicated to explain, but what in poetry, I feel like we, when we are writing poetry, we often try to do something similar. We try to play, or at least in my case, I do, with different layers of the of the poem. So there's the 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 words in the poem, but then there's the imagery, and then there's the sound in the poem, and then there are the choices that you make along the way. And there's a structure, an architecture, that is. Um, relating different layers of the poem, much like what happens sometimes in deep mathematics. Hmm. So I think that that's where all that aesthetic pleasure comes for me. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you've already made me think about 
math and poetry in a different way because I think of that equal sign as a metaphor, you know, as yeah. like the cut in a haiku or like that the colon in those word problems where this is to this is this is to this. And, and that mm-hmm. being the heart of sort of all our understanding, it's sort of like what we bootstrap our knowledge from is just saying like this thing is like this thing. And then we build our entire conception of the world from that. And so it's really interesting to think of, of, of poetry and math as doing the same thing through a similar process, even though they're different, um, you know, ways of coding that, that, that comparison. Yes, that's right. That's right. I, I think Borges, Jorge Luis Borges, um, uh, study in, in, in one of his stories, it, it's called Funes, the, the Memorias. Uh, and uh, Funes is incapable of thinking because he remembers everything. Hmm. And so for him, for example, the dog that passes at 10 a.m. walking down the street is the same, is not the same dog, even though it's for us, it's the same dog than the one that passes at 2 p.m. on the way back or whatever. He, he sees the difference between the two dogs. There are some, some changes in the, the number of hairs that the dogs have, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, Funes is incapable of abstraction. So he can't really um, lump together uh, different instances of a, of, a, of a concept into a concept, into a class, because uh, he sees all those differences and he remembers them all. So Borges has the, this insight that that thinking or abstracting is forgetting. It is necessary to forget things in order to think abstractly. And I think that mathematicians have a concept for that, equivalence relations, we use that. And in poetry, I think that we are playing with with those kinds of uh, equivalence relations, which are metaphors hmm. in our case. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and talking about the similarities uh, between poetry and, and mathematics, um, uh, what are the differences too? Like, is there something that you get out of doing poetry that you don't get out of math? Is it, is it a way of like working your brain in different ways so you stay more rounded or, or keeping your emotions as, as part of it? Um, and what is it that, that you get out of poetry? Like, why do both when we would think that they're so dissimilar, even though they have these sort of strange, you know, similarities that we just talked about? They're also like, you know, that concept of the right brain and the left brain. They're as far apart as you can get, um, you know. Right. And so um, it, it, what is it that you get out of being a poet while you're also a mathematician? That's an excellent question. Again, I think I, I arrived at poetry um, out of intellectual curiosity right i wanted to see what was possible what you could do uh and i was stimulated by by it as as some sort of algebraic problem but in the course of playing around with it i discovered that i had really arrived at poetry out of emotional necessity Mm. disguised as intellectual curiosity and i think that that's what that 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 um you know, it clings the my 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 relationship to poetry because, um, or it, it, it reveal it, it, the revelation for me is that when I'm when I'm doing poetry, I become more attuned to my inner self and to to my own emotional needs, um, which are not so clear to me when I'm thinking analytically in the mode of a, a mathematician or a logician. It's it's hard. It, there's an estrangement that happens when your your mind is is um, is operating in this very analytical way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the way that that certain inventors and, and scientists over the time have used dreams. You know, famously, 
like the structure of benzene came in a dream, the double helix to Watson and Crick of a snake sort of coiled around itself, um, you know, coming Mm -hmm. in a dream, something with fire. I can't remember exactly the story, but but certain ways that like trying to fight through rationally to make some kind of thing connect. Then we have this like subconscious working and working and working and then and it comes out in dreams. It comes out in poetry. Um, I I don't know what um, kind of math that you do, actually, but but have you do you work on things where you're looking for solutions and and does the poetry help with that with finding solutions to to the problems you're facing uh i don't think it has ever worked uh um to help me find uh answers to mathematical problems but but um but the the process by which i find answers to mathematical problems is very similar Hmm. to the process of uh of finding so, so it's also dreams are very important <laughs> or uh you know I, I struggled with with a problem for a long time um and then i was in a metro in paris and i remember distinctly that i had this idea and i knew that the idea was going to work uh and this was an idea that was would juggle like probably over you know tens of different inequalities had to work out Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these inequalities did work out, but I, I had the strong intuition that I had already um, figured out the whole thing. Um, and it was just a, a, a moment, a, a moment, an instant of illumination, enlightenment, um, which is similar to what happens when you write a poem. When, it, when you come to the idea of a poem, sometimes um, there, there's a moment of enlightenment, uh, at least in my case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I should uh, say we should keep going through uh, sharing more poems. Uh, let's read another one before we, we continue the discussion, which is fascinating. Um, sure, I, I, I will read um, Identity, which is on page 11. You seem to be a bird about to flee, wings parted almost imperceptibly, but could have been a bird about to sing beak on the verge of opening. You could have been a thousand other birds that wouldn't fly or flew without these words. And as your eyes met mine, that sudden glance, perhaps a truth subdued by happenstance, you flew. And that was identity. Again, we're having uh, poems from nowhere at home. Pedro Portovan's newest book uh, from Penarac Press. Um, and, and you can see in the, both the poems that we've seen um, that uh, the formal, formalism, the meter, is so important to what you write. But you said you started out with, uh, with palindromes and, and sort of that kind of wordplay. So how did you, what was your process like from discovering, you know, moving from that palindrome community that you mentioned, which I didn't even know existed except for um, the, your publisher with um, Pederak, who's right. the only other palindrome poet I know. We've since, um, we published a palindrome, a word palindrome poem in the summer issue. So now I know two other palindromes palindrome poets uh, i think that's <laughs> anthony etherin is that his name that's right yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. now i know three but um <laughs> but how did you move from that that palindrome type of poetry into you know metrical poetry and, and the whole verse community which is just there, there's a wonderful community based there in massachusetts and I'm, I'm curious how you found them and and was that part of your moving into to meter and rhyme yeah so first um I started writing palindromes on Twitter, and Aurelio Asien, who is a, a brilliant Mexican poet, um, discovered me on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, and he uh, he instructed me. He actually helped me 
polish my my formal uh, poetry. He 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 told me, you know, you you're, you're really good at this palindrome thing. Why don't you write a sonnet that is a palindrome? <laughs> and that was, that was a, a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I I did, but but in the course of doing so, I needed to understand meter and uh, and the structure of a sonnet and the the strictures of of the form and all other forms. So I um, I got very much into it. And uh, at some point, I realized that I really was more of a poet than I was a palindrome writer. I mean, I, I, I am good at palindrome writing, but but it's the poetry that really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in, in Massachusetts, uh, I, I met Rina Espaillat, who is like a second mother to me and to whom this book is dedicated. Um, and I, I, I learned a lot from her um, and from other people um, that I ran into in different workshops and other environments um, about poetry, just in general. I have a very expansive uh, sensibility, so I'm not, I don't think of myself merely or solely as a, as a formal poet, but the formal poetry is a little bit easier for me. Hmm. <laughs> Just like, like Robert Frost says, like writing a good free verse poem is like playing tennis without the net. And mm-hmm. it's a little harder for me to guide myself in that. Do, do you write free verse poems? I've, um, I, I think it, it seems like there's a, some kind of conceit or, or behind most of the poems in the, in this book, at least. Um, is that something that you do often? I, I'm, I'm curious about how, you know, there's a way that, that I think, you know, having some kind of formal structure, whether it's, you know, you have, you know, poems based on the Fibonacci sequence and you have poems based on airport codes and you have poems that are palindromes and you have, you know, all the formal verse in here, um, you know, some structure helps sort of quiet the rational mind. I think that's the main thing. It's almost like, you know, saying, hey, here, juggle these while I, you know, let my subconscious play for the first time in a while. And uh, is it hard to find that in a free verse poem? And how often are you able to? That's a great question. So I, I have a couple of uh, of free verse poems in the in the book, I believe. Um, one of them, At the Harbor, which I, I might read, um, it, it, it does have some structure, some hidden structure. So for example, that poem, um, is is uh, very um, you know it's it, it's it's not apparent. It's I I I really uh, hide this conceit, but it is about quantum mechanics. It's about uh, particle wave duality, and but but the poem does not present itself that way. So if people read it, they can understand it, even though they don't know anything about quantum physics. Hmm. Um, but that 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 sort of, you're right that some kind of structure um, is important for me. Uh, in order for me to write a poem, I need to have either a conceit or something of the sort. Even when it is free verse, I need something to guide my hand, and that's what happened in that poem, for example. Yeah, well, maybe we should read that one. Um, it'll be interesting too. You know, being primed for it being about quantum mechanics, and the funny thing when you have so many formal poems in a book. I assumed this was just a form that I didn't know. Like I was thinking maybe there's some, you know, maybe this is like, 
you know, the, the syllables are like pie, you know, running out. Or the, I don't <laughs> know what, right. but I assume there was just something that I didn't recognize. So it's interesting to, right. to hear that. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting to hear that, too, you know, like your voice without the meter, which we haven't That's heard right. yet. So let's, uh, let's do that poem at the harbor. Absolutely. I'll find that. It's on <clears> page uh, 74 if you're, you're looking. Perfect. Yes, I have it here. At the harbor. I'm still not sure it's you out there waving in my direction. The dock is full of people waiting. Two women next to me talk about a remote revolution. The first of many to come, one says. And go, says the other. And while the first of them gestures, the other shakes her head. A child complains to his mother about the sudden smell of fish, but is soon transfixed by a seagull flapping its wings as it lands nearby. A man raises an eyebrow, and from the way his body shifts, I gather he's unhappy about the loud music booming through the earphones of a young man nodding along in solemn synchrony with the radio. I hear an improbable word, stardust. I flow back to the time you said, it's not true. We're not made of stardust, honey. It simply comes and goes like we do. How I came the closest to grasping what you meant when suddenly our kiss vanished. We're waves, you said. Waves. Yeah, beautiful poem at the harbor. Um, that sense of the free verse, too. And free verse, I mean, you can hear free verse that is free verse and not just... Uh, uh, not <laughs> not versed at all um, cause you can feel the meter and it's just varying in those lines another beautiful poem from uh, uh, Pedro's newest book and and can you talk a little about that that I mean the the last line of course is the quantum mechanics um, but but how does the the metaphor run through the poem um, let, let's talk about this a little bit sure yeah so um the, in the there's there's a moment in the poem where the word stardust appears. Mm -hmm. And um, what was on my mind is this uh, notion that people have that we are stardust. <laughs> like every atom in our body is um, stardust. Uh, but the conception that the you in the poem has, the second person the poem has, is, is different. It, it stems from the idea that even that stardust goes, right? The, the atoms that populate our body um, dissipate from our body and other atoms come into our body. Um, we are really uh, ebbing and flowing as, uh, as, as entities in, in the world around us. So th that was um, what was going on. And, and if you see the imagery in the, in the, in the poem, it really is filled with, with waves of one kind or another, smell, um, radio waves, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the flapping of the wings is is is, is a wave movement. Um, so all of that was was behind the scenes, swept under the rug, as it were. But yeah. it was it was important to me. And for for a poem like that, how does um, how do those those um, images you know relating to the topic come about? Is it something that you had a concept for ahead of time, or was it in the process of writing or revision, where those those ideas, all those different waves, and the, and the concept of the poem came from? What what's your writing process like when you sit down to mm -hmm. write a poem? 
That's that's excellent. So, so it's um, this one I wrote at the harbor. <laughs> so I, I I did write it there, and there there are some poems that, for example, under the bedroom skylight, the first one that I wrote, I wrote under the bedroom skylight, uh, and I noticed that my eyes were moving from left to right and and right to left as I was watching, looking at the stars trying to fall asleep was it's it's a poem of insomnia mm -hmm. and um and that the, the eye movement suggested to me the conceit of writing palindromes or mirrors for the rhymes so that the, the rhyme scheme in that poem is palindromic words like doom rhymes with mood for example mm -hmm. where the, the the letters are exactly the in reverse order and but that was because i was noticing something about the eye movements. I wanted to be truthful about my own experience. The poem, uh, in some cases, it's not, uh, you know, it's not ostensibly truthful, but there's some truth, emotional truth that I am trying to convey. The design of the poem, uh, I, I like to, to think that form looks for content and content looks for form mm -hmm. and it's hard for me to discern exactly what happens when but sometimes i have an idea for content and i look for form and then the form looks for other content and all of that gets modified and that's how the the poem comes to be hmm. yeah it's interesting I, I don't know if you had uh, any of the palindrome poems on the list of uh, poems you wanted to read but but there there's a section of, of several palindrome poems um, toward the center of the book. Do, is, do you want to read any of those? Because I'd like to talk about that that concept, the idea of writing in palindromes. Sure. Um, yeah, I could read one of them. Uh, there is, I think, for example, Valentine's love poem could okay. be. In which page is that? So I can. That is in page forty-six. Okay. You, buy me. My bed, a whole tone. Cinema, same nice motel. Oh, wait by me, my boy. Yeah, that's fascinating. So then, of course, if you you can look backward, you can see the you by me, uh, my bed. So you can see the palindrome in there if you're watching on the on the YouTube, of course, or the Facebook or the Twitter where we're all streaming. If you're listening, come find it. But you can see the palindrome there. And it's really interesting. I had a sort of a bit of a revelation thinking about the palindrome because my first instinct was like, it's so arbitrary that, that these words happen to have the reverse order, the way we happen to spell them, the phonemes that happen to go to make these words go together. But then I realized that there's something arbitrary about just rhyme in general and the entire music of speech, you know? And so it's it's really arbitrary that like, like ham and Sam rhyme. There's no reason they should. And yet we might have a poem that, that does that. And, and so it's, it's pulling the sort of music out of the arbitrary nature of reality or something, which is in a way like what human beings are all about or something. So I had a lot of, it was late at night. I had a lot of uh, deep thoughts reading this book on an airplane, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but how is that? Like, like, what do you think, what is your sense of, uh, of palindrome poetry as sort of pulling meaning out of randomness, which is kind of what, on, the, on a really fundamental level, that's what it is. I, I think um, there was a comment Nate 
Jacob left somewhere. I don't know if I can find it fast enough to read. He said, yeah, both poetry and math attempt to make meaning out of what initially appears to be chaos. And there's a way that palindrome poems make meaning out of like total chaos. <laughs> like they're just, it's like so arbitrary what fits together in a palindrome, and yet we're pulling meaning out of it. So, so how do you think about the whole concept of writing poems as palindromes? Yeah, that that that's an excellent question. I I, I think that um, well, palindromes are. Uh, it's very easy for an obsessive person to get into them and and not get out, which is a problem. Um, but you're right. I think that the, the the arbitrariness of the form or the stricture of the form is inviting for experimenting. I I think that I am at heart uh, an experimentalist when it comes to poetry. I, I like to experiment with what is definable, or in mathematics we say definable, but what is expressible? What can you express it under certain strictures in language? Um, and um, the palindrome stricture is one of the hardest I know. It's extremely hard. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of miraculous that you can say sometimes something. Um, on the other hand, I think that I also am inclined to study this issue of authorship. Like, I, I think when I write a palindrome, I'm not, I don't really feel that I am the author of the palindrome. I feel like I am discovering something like like in the platonic universe of forms right in the in the form in, in the universe of, of mathematical truths as well uh, I am discovering something and or if you think of it as a writing I am writing with a collaborator and that collaborator is just language and language in its conventional form in this moment because for example until 19 the 1980s the letter ch was a letter in the Spanish language and now it's no longer a letter so so there's a lot of palindromes that are no longer palindromes. Mm. There's some some conventions that that form part of the process of 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 the writing. Um and I li- I like conceptually um the idea of not being entirely the author and giving some kind of negotiation goes on between me and language. I want to steer the poem in a certain direction and language tells me nobody you gotta go this other way because it's more promising. Hmm. That's what I like about it. Do you, it's really interesting. You know, I've always thought of um, you know math as sort of the the poetry, the sort of the cold poetry of the universe or something. You know, it's like like the poetry that exists without human beings adding their like limbic system on top of it. And, um, and, and did you have a sense, though, I've been thinking about this more lately with AI and large language models and the way that, um, you know, like, like chess playing computers have discovered ways of playing chess and moves that we sort of just haven't thought of yet. And, mm-hmm. and the way that, that in a way, oops, I should have uh, silenced my phone. Sorry about that. It's bad. <laughs> but in the way um, that... Um, you know, so so all the possible poems, in a way, are already written, you know, and, and we like almost haven't discovered them yet, which is what large language models sort of seem to tell us about poetry, you know, that uh, in the same way that, that there is a sort of finite number of 
um, of chess moves. There's a finite number of poems that exist, and we're sort of unearthing them like a like a miner looking for a vein of gold or something, as opposed to you know the expression of my soul creating something out of nothing, which is a more traditional way of thinking about poetry. Maybe so. Do you have that feeling like when you write a poem, not a palindrome poem, but a regular poem? Do you have that feeling that you're you're unearthing something, or do you think that there's something different going on with language and poetry that's not the same as uncovering some mathematical formula yeah i think that there is more a lot the more strictures you have the more it it feels um viscerally to me like like what you're what you're saying what you're saying that that ai is is teaching us which i i believe is true um, you can also conceive of writing a poem as as a process of finding something in a platonic universe. In fact, translation, I think of it as, as a, you know, there's a poem, there's a platonic version of the poem and going from, from one representation of the poem to another is kind of like going through that platonic realm. But... Um, but I, I I feel like the, the the degrees of freedom are too large, so it just feels different psychologically to write a poem. It does feel to me like I have a lot of say, a, lo- a lot of room for sculpting it, for mm-hmm. sculpting the architecture of the poem, um, and so it feels very different to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must confess. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've written some poems that are uh, the more experimental side of things. I, I do involve a lot of uh, extra structures that allow me to feel like I am not entirely the writer of the poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating you mentioned sculpture because that's what I was thinking about, about the way sometimes when a poem comes to you, it feels like it must feel to, for Michelangelo or something to have you have this block of marble and somehow, mm-hmm. like, what you're about to carve is already in there, and you're just taking away, mm-hmm. you're reducing the number of possibilities until you get to the one that was, like, in there the whole time, you know? And so, so it's a, a, a taking away of options is, is the yes. way of writing a poem in a strange way. And so, yes, yes. yeah. That, I just wanted to say that um, I had an experience like that. I wrote uh, 10 million palindromic sonnets in Spanish, and the way I did it is I wrote 10 versions of the first and last line, 10 versions of the second and penultimate and so on. So there were 10 to the power seven combinations <laughs> oh, of wow. them, which is 10 million sonnets, which is similar to what Raymond Quenot, the French uh, member of the Ulipo, did with his uh, sonnets, uh, poems, many poems. Um, and I discovered that the original poem, the first one that I wrote, from which all of the others stemmed, was not the best version. <laughs> so just by, by examining these 10 million sonnets, I realized that there was a better version. So yes, it's like you have this block of text and, 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 and the choices that you make can be also, um, you can also think of it as sculpting. You can also think of it as carving out possibilities and discarding, um, discarding stuff, yeah. which is exactly how I love to think about poetry too. Well, that's fascinating. I, I I read some note about your your ten million <laughs> your ten million sonnets, and I was wondering how how is that like because it's written as if it's a factual statement, and I assumed it must be somehow. And so it's great to have the explanation of that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, let, let's go. On, let's let's do a, one of the poems we skipped. We skipped a couple to get to to topical ones. Let's do. A, I feel the memory of writing you, which was the one in Rattle, um, which is one of my favorite poems in the book. Maybe no coincidence. I love this one. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I feel the memory of riding you. I feel the memory of riding you beginning to carve out its riverbed deep in the shadow of my passing through. How after scanning you beneath, I flew a little lower. How I turned my head. I feel the memory of riding you, my labyrinthine road. I had no clue how to begin or end before I read, deep in the shadow of my passing through, the story I demanded to be true. In each one of the knots along the thread, I feel the memory of writing you. The moment when I felt your pulse, I knew. And as you slowly found your form, I shed deep in the shadow of my passing through a love song to the love song that you drew with words I'd say to words I hadn't said. I feel the memory of riding you deep in the shadow of my passing through. Yeah, that's a vil- beautiful villanelle from, uh, from, I feel the memory of writing you from nowhere at home. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the, the reason you called it nowhere at home? Where did that title come from? That's a good question. So, um, I, um, I think that's a deep, uh, insight into me <laughs> that I came about just by putting together the collection of poems and and, fa- and trying to find a, a, a title. There, there's a, a, a big variety of, of, uh, of topics, of themes in, in the book. There's, I feel like there's not as much unity as in, in the ki- kind of collections that get published these days. Um, and I, I was born in Germany. I grew up in Guatemala. Uh, I am now an American citizen. Um, and I I love formal poetry, but I love some of my favorite poems are in free verse. <laughs> I am a logician, but I am a poet. I, it, 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 there's there's a, 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 a sort of like um, an anxiety um and a, a desire not to belong anywhere, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and then I saw that beautiful photograph that is on the cover, which is a a, a photograph by my friend Arturo Godoy, a Guatemalan photographer, of a jaguar and well, there's the the footsteps of the jaguar, and then the title came to me, uh, and I it was an instant of realization that. There's a lot in the book that has that feeling of nowhere, not being at home anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Paul Mitchell Bernstein calls you a word matician, which is a great, a great <laughs> word. Um, and and it, it does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, what has been your? How do you keep those sort of compartments? How do they fit together? Like, do people that work with you in, in the mathematics department? Do they think it's strange that you do poetry on the side? Um, is that is it something that they're they're proud of that they have a poet in the uh, in the department? Yeah, yeah, they're very supportive. They're supportive. Um, I, I I'm lucky to have a, a very supportive department. Um, but um, yeah, it's strange. There's, there's no denying that. <laughs> 
it is a strange affectation for a mathematician to do yeah. poetry. <laughs> well, I think there's there's too you know too little of that. Too little of um, you know people that aren't English majors focusing on you know teaching English and teaching creative writing. Writing. I mean, we need people writing poems from all walks of life, as uh, the original description of Rattle said. And I think it, it's just true. I mean, we want we want poem poets everywhere because poetry is everywhere and humanity is everywhere, and and poetry is what it means to be human. Um, if anybody has any questions for Pedro, please leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube. I'll try to peek at Twitter too, now that we're streaming on X again. Uh, but, uh, if you have any questions, please leave them and, uh, and I'll pass them along, but let, let's hear another poem, Pedro. What do you want to read next? Um, I guess I could read, um, the, the last poem in the book, which is, um, called a doomsday prayer for the polluting ape. It's on page 76. Mm-hmm. Um, look at my brethren gathering today in airport transit rooms. They wander by as if untangling dreams, aflame but gray from noctilucent broom, a burnished lie. Behold, fair muse, a bright awakening, valises hobbling forth, untiring hands filling out trifling papers, fidgeting. Disorder beauty never understands. Regard meek faces pondering regret. Others have beaten searching for some plane. Others absorbed in labor. Others yet deciphering abstruse passages in vain. Despite noise, carbon footprint, air pollution. Accord them bitter hope for absolution. Yeah, it's a beautiful sonnet there. And then if you look at the next page... I'll read the note. A doomsday prayer, and I don't think anybody would have guessed this, but a doomsday prayer for the polluting ape is built from the three-letter International Air Traffic Association codes for airports. A different way of reading the poem is as a 988,715 miles long itinerary involving 132 airports. So if you don't believe me, that the title, A Doomsday Prayer for the Polluting Ape, is right here going from um, Andamuka, Australia, ADO, to Amsk Oblast, Russia, OMS, a dooms, <laughs> and then Dayton, Ohio for day. And the entire poem goes through that way, um, a journey through airport three-letter codes. Um, so, so tell me about this poem. It was, it was very surreal, I have to say, to read this. Um, well, I came upon this poem while sitting at the airport waiting for my plane to, to oh, wow. start boarding. And so <laughs> I started looking around. Like, it was like the universe was writing me a poem in the back of the book. Uh, so, so how did that, this poem come to be? Where did the idea come from? And, and how, how difficult was it to, to come up with these, you know, constructing three letters at a time, a whole sonnet? Yeah, so it, it it came to be um because I I had read a book by Chris Kerr um uh in which he it's called Nam Gal Sips Clark that book and in it he uses only uh he allows himself only to use um uh chemical symbols for elements to write text so uh, there are words that are prohibited because you can't put them together with the chemical symbols of elements. And that's that's what gave me the idea to do that in general, not just with IATA codes, but with uh, two-letter abbreviations of languages, two-letter abbreviations of country codes, uh, uh, all sorts of different 
codes uh, and gave me the idea of writing enciphered um, sonnets, which I which I wrote in in Spanish originally. Hmm. So uh, there's a Spanish version of this poem. Oh wow! And it's not as long. It's just a million uh, kilometers long. So it's a little, <laughs> a little less long because there's so many more monosyllabic words in English. So this one is longer. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to give and take. So there's some ar- archaic um, sounding syntax. Like the, there's some stuff that I wouldn't ever write in, in a poem that I wrote myself, like brethren, words like so. But, um, but collaborating with the, with the airports, this is what I came up with. <laughs> well, um yeah, it's just fascinating. And then you have another one, which maybe we'll get to uh, based on the, the genome in, the, in a similar way, uh, the cat genome in particular. Um, yeah. but, but for now, uh, we had a question from, um, I think it was uh, Nate Jacob over on Facebook. Yeah, he wanted to hear some of your probably more requests than a question, but he wondered if you could hear some of your poetry read in Spanish. And we do have um, bilingual sonnet, which might be perfect That's for right. that as a segue. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is... Um... You can think of it as a, as a bilingual poet uh, um, in a straitjacket, <laughs> trying to make sense of of um, of the world. Um, bilingual sonnet. Trae hoy alpina cima el dios traidor. Ese sumo detalle ver y de. Se mostró sin rubor de plata. Fe es por creer final posee sonor. Y de demostrar obra y hielo raro. Fez por Dios reventeo pasé día solo. Rapero loco, todo por Apolo. Lo paro, podo, toco, lo reparo. Lost aids a poet? Never, so I drop. See, for a role I harbor art. Some deed, iron o see, so plan I freer crop. See fatal Pedro burn, I sort some seed, I revel late. Do muses erode art? So idle am I. Can I play, O oh heart? Yeah, it's a wonderful poem, bilingual sonnet, again, uh, from Nowhere at Home, Pedro Poitivin's newest book from Penaract Press. And, uh, and, and I wanted to ask, too, you know, being a bilingual poet, and, and a formalist as well. Um, what is the difference in r- trying to write formal poetry um, in Spanish as opposed to in English? Um, you know, English is sort of such a rougher language with so many different sounds and, and, and the, the order of operations is more important, you know, because of, you know, where the English continent or island was, how many times it was invaded and all of that history. Um, what's the difference between writing and, and how, do you, how do you compare the two? My goodness, I am two very different, strikingly different poets. Um, in, in, in English, I am more reticent than in Spanish. I feel more at home in, in Spanish, unfortunately. Um, I have lots of um, insecurities as, as somebody who is not natively bilingual when I write in English. Hmm. Um, uh, I think that uh, it's, it's very different. To write in English and in Spanish. When I wrote, uh, I feel the memory of writing you. The first thing I thought is, I'm not going to write anything again in English. This is too good. <laughs> I'm not going to improve on this. But uh, yeah, so it's very different. Um, and the, the culture, the Povis culture is also different, I think, mm-hmm. in, in general. 
Um, so it's completely a different vibe. Um, I don't know what else to say. I, it's just uh, so different. What, what, what is that? What is that different vibe? I'm kind of you know curious about that. Well, I think that the different cultures value different things at different moments in time, mm -hmm. and um, in Spanish, for some reason, uh, this formal um, games that I play and that I've sometimes not played, but sometimes I do play, um, they're they're a little bit better received in general than mm -hmm. in English. Yeah. Um, somehow i i also feel like like spanish has um it's it's a little bit easier to write uh for me to write well in spanish than in english but uh but the the compression the the, the proliferation of monosyllabic words in english makes it has some advantages mm -hmm. for for writing formal poems, specifically sonnets. I I feel like the, the sonnet is a form that can can be really really tightly uh, filled in 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 with English, so you can write very good very good sonnets in English. I love Keats, for example. One of the things that I that I noticed, which might not be true, but it's just a, a sort of a little hunch I get reading, you know, poems, um, you know, translated from the Spanish, because I'm sadly, you know, a one language person. Uh, but it feels like um, English language poetry is a lot more often rooted in sort of time and space. And there's more of a timelessness to Spanish poetry. Um, do, do you feel that's the case? Or is that just my imagination? It feels like like sort of, and I maybe you know, add it to the, the sort of, um, the, the briefness of, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, America as a country, the United States, um, you know, how we don't have as much history as other places maybe, or maybe the materialism we're like rooted in the, the, the tangible moment, but it feels like there's sort of a sense of, um, spanning time and, and, and reaching more over time in uh, in Spanish language poetry. Did you get a sense of that? Or is that just my imagination? I, I haven't gotten that sense, but I think that probably you you are likely to get that sense from the fact that the things that that make it from one culture to another tend to be the more timeless things. Mm -hmm. They tend to be. Um, I think it's harder to translate uh, a poem that is very, you know, um, tightly related to to, to local conditions yeah. or local. Mm -hmm. It's it's harder for people to to translate those poems. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, let's see. Well, let's let's hear another poem. I want to make sure we get through. And we have. Um, why don't we do? Um, as my three children tidy up the room, which is another fascinating an anagram, an anagrammatic poem. Um, and so explain what this is, and I'll play the video. We'll figure out how to how to read it while we're playing the video too. But but explain what this poem is. Yeah, so um, I actually wrote this while my children were tidying up the rooms. <laughs> so uh, th that's half true. I wrote the sonnet. So there's two texts. The first text is just a paragraph. It's just a prose poem, if you will. Um, and it sets the scene. It explains what is going on. It ends with a, uh, the 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 words of sorts, which I like because it's about sorting the letters afterwards. Um, and, uh, the second sonnet, the second part of the, of the, of the poem is a, a rectangular sonnet. So it's, it looks like a rectangle. It has the same number of characters in each line. 
it's self-descriptive, self-enumerating, um, and uh, in some sense, uh, well, it's truthful. Everything mm -hmm. it says is true. And I wanted to write that sonnet before my kids finished tidying up the room. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you, you really did this, this anagram you pulled off in the time it took your kids to clean the room? No, just the sonnet. Just the sonnet. <laughs> the anagram took me a couple of days longer. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> that would be, that'd just be too and, much. I don't know if I'd believe And the it. version that I had was, uh, it used the, the word sour and my, my youngest, the one who has 19 stuffed foxes, that's actually true that there are 19 stuffed foxes in his room. Um, he did not like the word sour to describe him. So I had to fiddle around with the poem, the prose part, and it ended up significantly better thanks to him. <laughs> so he's a good editor. All right, so I can read it. Uh, I'll read the, the first part first. As my three children tidy up their rooms, my sons, Daniel, Julian, and Gabriel, resident sportsmen, Days through sorry rooms while I write a stern, strict paragraph. One of them stutters, protests injustice, another struts testily. The third pets our nineteen stuffed foxes. It's easier to find warm coffee than mild peace. I kick a bad ball ever peeved. Quick, I strain to see the end of this before they're done. They attempt to fit in unusual stuff. A cactus, really? Such a stormy view from orbit on, on high, I see abstruse structures, unmade beds, and avidly stretched toward the even sonnet, a tactical cannon of sorts. As my three children tidy up the rooms. This sonnet has been crafted to comprise 560 characters precisely, but filler as its sink may be, Surprise, it fits its witty argument quite nicely. 455 letters a loom, 105 non-letters in between, it sings about the structure of its room, and even as it does so, paints a scene. Four sentences that gather dust to gel, four stanzas that would rather be apart, strain as a service crew at some hotel to pick up the debris and make it smart. One hundred words come joyfully together to admire the sonnet's cap and feather. <laughs> that is, I don't know how you did that. What What is it like to write an anagrammatic poem? If, do you do you like a, is it like a draft? Like you have like I have this number and I'm gonna pick. Uh, I need my three B's right now. <laughs> how does How do you go about writing an anagram? Is uh, a Is a poem? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard, <laughs> really hard. Um, the first time I tried it was because I wanted to write two sonnets that were palindromes and anagrams, and I succeeded, and then I learned a lot doing that. But it was really hard, and this one took me a good two days, really, to, to clinch. Just two days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but what do you do? Like, Is there a process to these kind of poems that you have? Like, yes. Yes, the, the, there is a process. The, the, the first thing that you do is, of course, you want to you wanna tell the truth as much as you can, uh, especially in this sonnet. I knew that I wanted to set the scene for the second one. Um, and so you, you look for words and w w you write a first version and you're, you're going to check the distribution of letters 
and you realize that you're overusing letters that are not in the sonnet or underusing letters that are in the sonnet. And then you start looking for words that have a high concentration of the letters that you are using a lot of in the other piece of text. Because in this case, I wasn't going to change the sonnet. The sonnet had to be the way it was. Mm -hmm. So the initial text had to adjust itself to the sonnet. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm looking at the YouTube comments, and there's just disbelief <laughs> what, that that you uh, that you could do. I mean, all these things that you do. How how much uh, of your your daily life is devoted to poetry? Because I assume you have to do other things for your day job. Um, how yeah. much do you set aside a certain amount of time every day, or, or just when the mood strikes you? It's like on vacation, you sit down and write a palindrome poem. How how do you how do you find time for poetry? Um. Yeah. I. Don't. <laughs> I, don't. <laughs> I I find I find time every once in a while. For example, one uh, um, this this uh, the sonnet I wrote while my kids were occupied, and then the the anagram it, it took me some work, but it's always like Twitter time. Like uh, you know, you have 140 characters to interact with the poem. <laughs> you have a very limited amount of time because you have to go cook and you have to do some math and so on. So it's, it's hard. Well, we're, we're coming up on time. I think we should do two more poems, um, but we have three more to choose from. What do you, what do you want to read next? And we'll do another little, a few questions and then, and then one last poem. Sure. Um, I could read, um, I don't remember. Oh, the, the cat genome. Why not? Okay. Uh, that's, uh, page 23, I believe. Yeah, I was wondering so how is, you would read this. So that's interesting. Too. Yeah, I can explain a little bit. It's a it's a it's a bilingual poem as well. Uh, it combines the meter, the iambic pentameter meter uh, of the English language, with hendecasyllabic uh, meter, the classical hendecasyllabic meter of Spanish. It's written in the smallest alphabet necessary for writing the two sequences of letters that I cared about, which are CAT and GATA, which mean cat in Spanish and English, of course. Um, and I found this on it. It's not written by me. So it's written by Mother Nature in the genome of cinnamon, an Abyssinian cat. Um, so I just found sonnet in a genome. And I was a biochemistry major, so I, <laughs> that's why I ended up looking in, in cat genomes. C C T T T G A T T G G A T C A T T T A G T C G A T T T A C A T T C A G A G T A A T T A T T G A T T A G G T A T A T A T T T A G T G C C A T T C T A C T A G T T G G T T T G C C A T T G T T T C T T G A T G T T T T C T C T G A T C C T T T T C T T G T C T G T a A C A C T T T T G G T C C T T C A T T. 
and that was a cat genome and if you for those just listening uh where it's c-a-t comes up uh it's bolded so you can see the cat and the gata too for cat uh written in there in the code within the sonnet <laughs> just a fascinating <laughs> way to go about it and it does bring up a question though which I, a few people have asked sort of variations of this in the chat but but we think of poetry as a way to discover meaning you know it's the way to find the things that you didn't know you knew you know it's the it's that the connection between the right and left hemispheres it's the spark of understanding leaping the gaps of knowledge i mean there's all those ways you can talk about it but it's always like in search of some kind of like truth or reality that's like we didn't quite have a way to articulate and and how does all of this experimental play that you do affect your truth seeking within a poem is it a way to do you find that, that these sort of exercises that you go through unlock meaning that you didn't know you knew is that part just part of your process or or is it more a play with language where you're having fun how does that affect the truth of a poem yeah <clears throat> so in, in in this case um, it, it, I think of it as a conceptual poem, uh, and it is the the architecture of the concept that really hits hits it home emotionally for me. I was a, a biochemistry major in Guatemala, and so I find myself in the uh, years later here in the United States, learning to to program in in a suitable language to to enter into genomes and and find sonnets in the genome of an animal in this case a cat because i love cats mm -hmm. and i i find one and it turns out that it mixes the two poetic traditions that i love the most and that it does so in a very tight manner because the only letters that are available in this alphabet that i that i have in my hands uh, are are sufficient for spelling those two words and um it just it, it it ties in with my past and and with my nowhere at homeness, right? Like this this um, sense of migrating from one poetic tradition to another, uh, migrating from one one country to another, and and yet it connects it connects me to to my past self in some ways, and it connects the two poetic traditions that I love in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and it rescues my love for a cat. I have a cat that I love. Yeah, it is interesting. You know the way you know playing with with words does all that. You know, it's fascinating. Where do you think? Um, how does how does poetry make your life better? Like like and at the end of the day, like why do you do this? I mean, this book, you know, it's not going to like you know be a bestseller that that. It makes money or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, why go about poetry? What do you get out of it as a human being? Um, I think that you can get insight into yourself. And in my case, I, I feel like I do. I get insight into my own uh, experience as a human being. Um, uh, for for instance, the, the, the last poem that I think I... I will read is one that illustrates that. Um, um, and it's called Self-Portrait as a Dog Out Walking. And it, I wrote it after uh, walking with my, my dog. Um, and it, it just, I, in, in, in this poem, life is, uh, is, is the conceit. The conceit is life is the hand that, <laughs> that, that has its leash on me. 
or death in the eyes of other mm -hmm. uh, in a different way of looking at things but um i gained that insight by writing the poem and uh i feel i feel like my life is better for it hmm. and, and one last question and then we'll read that poem but but do you think um you know th that everybody should be a poet that's one of the things that sometimes i get some pushback on you know i i try to say that you know that that everybody has a poem inside them, and and they're you know finding ways to get that out, maybe. But but you know all children are poets, and then we get a little self conscious and stop doing it. But but to to me it feels like everybody it, it's the kind of thing that it's good for your your mind and your soul in the same way exercise is good for your body. Um, do you feel that way? Do you feel or do you feel like there's a calling? Because there's nothing wrong with that that opinion too. That that poetry is a calling and and we're drawn to something in poetry, a special breed of human being. Um, but but do you think? Would you encourage everybody to be a poet? Um, I I don't feel qualified to really um, make a recommendation about everybody, but but I do feel that there is some truth to the fact to to, to the idea that poetry can be. For some people, um, a, a way of practicing what uh, I think it's uh, Maturana and Varela, Chilean philosophers, called autopoiesis, like the, the uh, honing the, the art of of making yourself as you go in life in a poetic way, living your life in a poetic way. So, and that's how I deal with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're we're all glad you do. That's for sure. Uh, well, let's finish out with this last poem, Self-Portrait as a Dog Walking, Out Walking. Unbelievable hand that gives my soul this gentle bit of slack during our stroll. Will you release me, grab the ball and throw it? I'd splash about and fetch it like a poet. Beloved hand that takes me to the hill to shed my vanity and train my will, take pity and allow that other mutt to come to me this once and smell my butt. Then take me to your nightly game of chess. I promise to stay still and nibble less and wake up when you're ready to head home and walk right next to you and let you roam. Even if hounds smell death and bark the reaper, I'll lick you lovingly, my life, my keeper. <laughs> That's great. Self-portrait as a dog out walking and could be an Ars Poetica fitting right in with the topic we were just talking about. Uh, that is the last poem we're going to share from Nowhere at Home, the wonderful book by Pedro Poitivin from Penarac Press. Hope everybody can check it out. Uh, thanks so much, Pedro, for being a guest. It's just been so fun talking to you about poetry and math and, and all things uh, valuable. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Have a great night. You too. Yeah, that was Pedro Poitivin once again. You can find uh, more... Uh, from penarakpress.com and let me show that on the screen um, Penarak Press is it on here? Yeah, there it is um, it's P-N-T-E-R-A-C-T press.com so find the book there that is uh, Nowhere at Home by Pedro Poitivin now we're going to take a quick break and go to our open lines and as always the open lines can be anything you want to share um, you can share the prompt poem for this week which was to um write a poem in which someone gets their hands dirty um, or you can share poems about current events you can share uh, poems uh, you've written recently that you've published recently anything you'd like to share for the open lines we'll spend about an hour doing that i'm going to put the zoom link 
in the chat windows on Facebook and YouTube if you're watching on X. Um, find find Facebook or YouTube. I'm not going to post it there because that seems like kind of inviting trolls. But um, but uh, we'll post that in to Facebook and YouTube right now. Um, and before you join, though, let me put this on the screen too. Um, email your poem to open mic. That's open M I C at rattle.com. You can also submit it to our new uh, prompt poem of the month feature. So either way, make sure I have it so I can show it on the screen. Either have it submitted through submittable to Rattle's Prop Poem of the Month, or email it right now to open mic. That's open M-I-C at rattle.com. And I'll be right back uh, with more poetry. So sit tight right where you are. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Now, uh, the prompt for this week was to... Um, here we go. Oops, here we go. Where'd it go? There it is. Pick a single word at random from the dictionary and use that as the title of a poem in which someone gets their hands dirty. And of course, that uh, prompt poem is from Katie Dozier, our prompt series editor. Let's go to Katie and see what she had first and talk about this prompt. Hey, Katie, how you doing? I'm doing great. I love the interview. It was a fascinating discussion. It makes me also wish I was better at math because I want to appreciate on the same level. I think I've got a ways to go before that happens for me. Well, but I don't know. As a professional <laughs> poker player in the past life, I think you have a pretty good grasp of math. <laughs> but, I have uh, a good good grasp of that kind of math. <laughs> that kind of math I did I did have to wrap my head around. But <laughs> so um so this was the prompt this week, which was based on uh, last week's uh, poem or, or poet uh, Jane Clark. Um, what was your experience? You wrote a poem yourself. Uh, what was your experience writing it this week? I thought it was kind of a dangerous prompt because I felt like I could have written like a ton of poems on this. I mean, how fun is it to pick a random word? Like every word deserves a poem, right? It really does. Almost. It, it's almost like uh, <laughs> there's one great book that's like the, de- what is it? I'm trying to remember. What, there's one book that's like a dictionary with like fake definitions. And it's a book of poetry, like prose poems. It's great. I can't think of it right now. Uh, Someone in the chat probably will. But, but yeah, that definitely every word deserves a poem. What was the word that you came up with? Paradolia is the word that I hit upon. So. Uh-huh. And that, what, yeah. what does that mean? I, I don't want to say it before the poem. The whole point of the poem is what it means. <laughs> okay, well, let's hear the, hear the poem, then I'll put it up on screen. Hopefully, at least. I feel like if you still need a definition after the poem, then maybe I didn't do a great job. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Paradolia. Of course, we all see shapes strung up in the clouds. A bunny leaps from cotton. We repaint brushstrokes, build entire mountains. When I dig my nails into the truth, each twig draws a new square root. Just another planted memory, watching someone else's hands grow cold in the span of dirt. An oak is both a tree and tomorrow's absentee. The bunny leapfrogs from the clouds and hops into a hat. Weep. Did I just imagine or did I conjure that? Yeah, that was excellent. Periodolia, which uh, I think people uh, can probably guess what it means based on the poem. That's probably true. But for those not, not it, it's the recognition of patterns in things where the meaning doesn't exist. So the, the face on yeah. Mars, the Jesus in toast, the consciousness in chat GPT, all of them kinds of periodolia. <laughs> Um, I I put forth that 
the bunny we see in the sky is just as real as the bunny we see on the ground. <laughs> it could, could be, could be. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and then, and then it was running toward the ending too, which to, to me was a, a made the poems kind of easy because you could sort of you knew where you were going, a little trajectory. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, Katie and I do the Poetry Space also on Twitter or X. And this week on the Poetry Space, we're talking <laughs> about meter. Maybe we can get uh, Pedro to come on, too. We'll see if he wants to join on Thursday. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll be talking about meter, which is a fun topic. I mean, I, as you know, I love formal poetry and, and wish there was more. So it'll be fun to talk about that um, and, and what you've learned over the week exploring meter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I actually took this poem and broke it down until it's scanning it for beats as practice for the space on Thursday. And it actually helped me edit it, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Katie. It's always a pleasure. And we'll reveal next week's prompt at the end (laughs) of the open lines. But thanks for joining us. Thank you. See you later. Bye. It was Katie Dozier with uh, Periodolia. And now uh, my poems for the week um, were, let's see, let me find them. So I actually had two. Because um, I, 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 in a way, I failed in both poems because I, you know, we're supposed to have a single um, word as the title, which was randomly found in the dictionary. In the first poem I wrote, um, actually the second poem I wrote, um, that, that didn't work as the title. I needed to change it. Uh, and then uh, the second, then I tried again and I had the end of it didn't end up with dirt in your hands either. So these are both failed poems, both trying two attempts um, at the uh, at the prompt for this week, and I'll read them both. It's a sonnet and a little hybrid, so I'll read them both. They're short, but anyway, here we go with this. Um, the first one originally the title was just algorithm. That was the word I, I pointed out at the dictionary, and um, it was next to uh, some word that I didn't use. To to be fair, it was like the biggest, most interesting word near where my finger landed. Um, and then it, I, I change it though because it needs this title to make more sense and be more accessible. It's arguing online feels more and more like talking to an algorithm. What I really wanted was to follow one home, to trace my way through fiber wires and microwaves to find a seam or hollow node in the network, to feel the fires of an idea swirl into a bodied being. I'd track it down the laminated halls of light. I wouldn't know, it wouldn't know, if it was fleeing on foot or if its shoulder brushed the walls, for what were feet and what was knowing. Yards behind, I'd watch it hug the passing lane as if the empty road were full of cars. The houses on its streets would look the same. Out back, a garden full of thoughts and dirt. Tomorrow's talking points wiped on its shirt. As a sonnet, arguing online feels more and more like talking to an algorithm, and it definitely does. And then since um, this was actually my second attempt, I put them out of order. My first one was nuptial, which came, uh, we were in an art gallery, and there was a, a piece um, that was art written in black and white on a dictionary page. And so this is a word from that page, and uh, it was nuptial. And um, this is the, the uh, hyben that came from that, in which originally the, it ended with a haiku about hands and dirt, but but then I, I, got, I made a better haiku. <laughs> There's no dirt anymore. So here we go with nuptial, nuptial. The problem with summer, it's tiring. You feel like an ooze flowing through ooze. It's okay. Just lie under the fan, half naked, waiting for midnight. 
when the calendar turns and the moon takes its slice of the air, we're all one day closer to fall. Holding our breath through the heat wave, pool toys, that is nuptial, Ivan, and um, that are my two, sorry for sharing two, a little self-indulgent, but if I didn't, I would cheat and do this one for next week, the, the sonnet, and so I thought uh, I'd share them both to keep, uh, to keep myself on task. Now let's go to some more open lines. We have a whole bunch of people on, so um, let's do it. two if they're really short like that, one if they're not. And uh, Carla Schwartz is up first. We have some first-time callers, too, so excited to uh, see who we've got. Hey, Carla, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Um, you know, I just got back from being out on the lake, and uh, yeah, I'm doing well. How is and, the, uh, how's the summer treating you? Is it, is it hot up there in your uh, northeast, too? Or um, is it not I'm bad? in the northeast on Lake Winnipesaukee. Today was a perfect day. It was in the 70s, sunny, gorgeous. Well, don't tell me that, because I'm here in the mountains of Southern California, and I don't know if everybody could hear the whole episode. My computer tower has been, like, just droning on with a fan. And I'm, like, praying oh, that it no. doesn't, like, melt, because it's, like, oh, 95 no. degrees outside, oh, and I have no air I'm conditioning. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish I was I'm out sorry. on the lake. Um. <laughs> all right all right well here i go I'll, i'm gonna just i don't have maybe i'll come back around for a second poem but i don't think so right now okay. um so this is uh my prompt poem which by the way i'll just say that to you tim you wrote a prompt poem because that prompt prompted you to write that poem that is okay. true they, they both count it doesn't matter what it right. as long as it generates a poem we're all happy that is a great exactly point, Carla. exactly okay and the a word I chose at random from uh, actually a random word generator because I didn't feel like going through um, an actual page dictionary, which I don't have, um, is attitude. Six degrees of, I know Kevin Bacon. He's on my Instagram. He sings. He dances. He shows up in my dream. He showed up in my dream last night. We connected on black beans, bicycles, the Mount Washington tour boat running aground. Also in the dream, my father, who observed the conversation patiently without saying a word. Connection is just attitude. The mixing of auras was not addressed. The heat in the room, not addressed. That Kevin's married happily in my dream, not addressed. My attitude, not that kind of connection. Not at this point in my life. You will not find me singing to goats. Well, you might, but I would not live with them pawing the dirt, then pawing me. Oh, that is great. And, uh, and writing toward that ending, digging in the dirt, too. But I love the not addressed little run at the end. of that. The, the ending is it's terrific. Thanks for sharing that, Carla. Oh, thank you so much. Yep. Take care. Attitude yep. by Carla Schwartz. Thanks, Carla. Um, next up is a first-time caller, um, Jay Yer Broadbar. Yeah, I'm a total newbie. And so I, I actually didn't realize that the prompt was for this. And I also... Uh, my last dictionary fell apart and I never replaced it. So I'll use a random word generator, but I, that's not what I thought I would share. So I don't know if we have to wait for later, but it was. Oh, the... no, you can share anything you'd like. So it is oh, open, I... truly open oh, lines, okay. and open mics. So well, I, I we have the prompts the... to inspire people, but um, okay. but if you, if you well, have I... other stuff, feel free. Oh, no, I sent you the, um, I had emailed you per your request. So, mm -hmm. but it's, um, 
it was it's a poet's response so it's a prompt based on a poet's response from earlier this summer oh. mm -hmm. um, of a poem called uh, let's kiss uh so do you want me just to read it yeah go ahead i have it up for everybody watching uh on the streams yeah go ahead let's kiss oh, okay great let's kiss after angelica whitehorn Let's kiss our fiddle, burn, baby, burn. I wave from the berm, knowing your kids will live submerged. Let's kiss. A big fuck off, all is nimby, can't be bothered. Look away as I step casually over a carcass sleeping bag. And yes, sometimes hold my nose. Not even a sorry got no change. Let's kiss. My two palatial homes, one boat, and Bali vacations, my factory running off toxins for years. So sad. Hey, you can blow me. Kiss. Let's. <laughs> That's great. Excellent response to uh, Angelica Whitehorn's poem, Let's Kiss. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, and once again, that was um, uh, Jay Broadbar. Good to see uh, Jay, a new, always great to see a first-time caller. Let's go to Nivedita Karthik next. And Nivedita is uh, on her way to work, so we want to get Nivy in before she has to run. Nivy, are you there? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah, it's great to see you. So uh, what do you have to share? Um, I think like most people, I just went to a random word generator because I don't have a hard copy of a dictionary here at home. Sadly. Yeah, well, the truth is my, uh, my um, algorithm one was a random word generator too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way to go about it, you know? I mean, we're modern folk here in... The... <laughs> and the first word that popped up when I searched was lavender. Mm, and I thought that was a brilliant juxtaposition because um, I think the color lavender or the flower lavender sort of means like, I know, like elegance and things like that. And then you sort of have to contradict that with getting your hands dirty, so... I don't know if I managed to do it, but this is what I came up with. Well, that's perfect. Okay, um, let's hear it. Lavender. Sunset spills over. A lavender haze. Pretty weeds blossom. Butterfly wings stir up a hurricane, chasing away fallen leaves, burying memories. Down in the dirt, fingers desperately search elusive dreams. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I love that lavender sunset spills over lavender haze. Yeah, beautiful poem. Thanks for sharing that, Nivy. Thank you, Tim. Have a lovely evening. Yep, you too. Have a good uh, have a good day at work. Thank you. There's a Nivy DeCarthic with lavender. And uh, next, let's go to another first-time caller, I think. Um, Sangeeta Kalarickle is here. Oops, not Laura. Sang yeah, there you go. Hey, Sangeeta, how you doing? Hi, I am not first time. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, okay. Well, a rare, but I am a rare second caller, time. second time caller. Well, that's great. We love second timers too. So, what do you have to share with us? Um, I sent you uh, my latest uh, uh, Boon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you got it. I do. Uh, yeah, summiting. I have it right here, summiting. And, yeah. and we love Hyben, obviously, here on the Railcast. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the conference, you know, Tim. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was so, a lot of fun. Um, and I was impressed uh, just with how good the haiku poetry community is. I mean, they're just wonderful, yeah, yeah, you know, poems yeah. all around. So if anybody can yeah. get to the Haiku North America in two years in San Francisco, yeah, definitely yeah. put that on your calendar. 
Tan, it's on. So this one was published in Haiku Katha uh-huh. uh, in August. Uh, Haiku Katha is a uh, comparatively new journal uh, from India. So that's it's it's really it's got really good stuff. You oh, must read it if you don't. Yeah. Uh, but before I start, can I make a quick plug for something? Oh yeah, sure, please. It's do. an event on uh, this Saturday mm-hmm. uh, coming up. Uh, it's called Poetry Marathon. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, where uh, 24 hours you have, uh, ev- once every hour you would write a poem. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the, the community has grown so much that we have hundreds of poets writing at the same time on second, starting at 8, uh, 8 a.m., uh, I think, Eastern time hmm. or something like that, you know. Yeah, that's uh, and so going where would people portrait. where would people find that? How would they participate? Uh, I can uh, I can send it to your Facebook if you if that's okay with yeah. you, and yeah. maybe you can share it. So yeah, you have to register, it, yeah. but yeah, we'll put it in the chat yeah. in the uh, YouTube stream. Makes me think of the I'll, I'll um, do that 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 um what was it called? The New Sphere Project at Princeton that measured randomness and everybody meditating on one thing at a time made the world less random somehow in this weird experiment <laughs> that they did there. So you're actually, this poetry marathon is going to be affecting the actual world. <laughs> it's really interesting. Possible, but I have to tell you, I found a whole bunch of poets for just participating uh-huh. in that, you know, just, it's awesome. Yeah. So uh, without uh, wasting too much time, here's um, summiting. Great, go ahead. <laughs> Darkness shrouds us. Flashlight prove useless on the mountain route to Lohagad. We'll just wait until the clouds move a little and more stars appear. YD's voice reaches the trailing member of the group. We all stop, puffing and panting. Edges of leaves brown before the first of florets bloom. We squint and try to discern the shapes of trees, bushes, boulders. A twinkle appears, then another, and within a few seconds, a large rally of light points. We stand agape, our urban hearts pound loud. Perhaps when clouds are so dense, the stars descend on the earth. Spring equinox, the slight pause before a crocus. YD returns from his quick walk ahead, his palms cupped. Come, see my fist light up. We huddle around him as he loosens his fingers enough to show his glowing fist. We let out a collective gasp. And then, in a moment, as he opens his palms, drops his arm to his side, and the firefly takes off. Glowing now off, now on. New destinations, what fallen leaves leave behind. Oh, that's beautiful. Excellent, Hyvin. Summiting uh, by Sangeeta Kalarikal. Thanks so much for sharing. That was beautiful. Thank you. And then, oh, before you leave, put the uh, put that Zoom link in, or put that link to the marathon in the Zoom chat. Yeah. And then I'll, then we'll I'll move it over to the YouTube and stuff. Then everybody can get it. Yeah, right. thanks so much for sharing both of those things. That was great. Summiting. Thank you. Once again. Bye. And uh, next we shall go to, let's go to, um, trying to do a different order than we usually do. Mark Grinier, 
let's go to Mark Greener next. I think uh, certain people are quicker on the button, and we're going in, in reverse order this week of, of button quickness. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hi, Tim. Pretty good. I actually tried the prompt one this week, except I didn't use the dictionary either. I, I have a word-a-day program, and I just grabbed the word of the day. Ah, interesting. And so what was the word of the day? The word of the day is fraudistary. Oh, I've never heard that word. So uh... I never heard it either, <laughs> and it's a place for thinking. Interesting. Okay. Here's, here's the pump. Oh, what a heavy book this is, like the porcelain pedestal in which I like to sit and ship. While contemplating the universe, or looking up at last, the word that word I couldn't forget from another poem I don't comprehend, another magnificent word with which to dirty my two poetic hands, where odes compelled by purple angst into twilight skies and infernoed Pacific breaks must crash and burn, where ash smokes down on heads and hands of those who weren't trying to escape providential electric lines <clears throat> grounded near those who failed to escape who were living in an island paradise like unrepentant luddites and are now best beat down begrimed and bedraggled by smoke and ash with burnt and blistered hands from firebrands falling into their heads onto this open dictionary this frontistery abandoned now the gates of paradise yeah, another poem with a great ending, and uh, and I love that word, frontistery. We have to start using that more often. I'm about to go to my frontistery. I'll see you later. <laughs> Sounds okay. good. <laughs> okay, thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. That was Mark Grinier with a uh, frontistery. Um, yeah, that's a great word, and and uh, you know, important poem too uh, with the events of the news in the last uh, week. Next, let's go to Nate Jacob. Hey, good evening. Hey, Nate, what's up? I'm uh, having a great time. That was an amazing interview tonight. Yeah, I've so been looking thanks. forward to that for a while. Pedro was one of those enigmas uh, that, that I was, was really looking forward to getting to know better. You are another enigma. So <laughs> 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 well, hey, I wrote a uh, prompt poem. Excellent. From an actual dictionary. Uh-huh. Ooh, real dictionary, for real paper cuts cover. and everything. <laughs> little tape on the cover to keep it together. Uh, I use the word literal, not uh, the word literal as we normally know it, but L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, uh, uh, which is of or relating to the shore of a lake, sea, or ocean. Another word. That is a word I knew, actually. What? So, yeah, I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. I know where I go. Uh, I also wrote a, uh American sonnet. It neither rhymes, nor did I pay attention to meter, but there are 14 lines. Perfectly so patriotic. Thanks so much, Nate, for sharing that. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Literal. Low tide rising. No, excuse me. Low tide rain rising up from the fish scale sand and me again, reminding my waiting young daughter that hearts are most easy when drawn top down. And true love requires an arrow to pierce it. This is the reach of the sea where we first sensed the rise and fall, the back and forth, the scroll of our lives cutting clean through driftwood rings that marked time's escape, marked us as its own. We would have stayed suspended there forever, like kites from her sand-caked hands, curled too tight until wet, gritty strings knocked deep her tender palms, while the rush of the surf pushed us further upshore, 
the hidden sun pressing down and pushing back and back, time ticking too soon through our own wounded hands. Oh, that's a beautiful poem, Littoral by uh, Nate Jacob. Thanks so much, Nate. That was that was just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Great show. Thanks again. Yeah, Nate Jacob with uh, Littoral. Go to Laura Berg instead. Hi, Tim. Hello, everybody. Hi, Laura. Um, well, I, uh, this is from last week's prompt, and I, I um, made a villanelle, and it was just kind of lugubrious, so I disassembled it, and this is what remains. Interesting. Okay, let, me, let me pull it up for everybody. Um, submittable is slow today. Did you submit um, something? I did it on the – you can get it in the email. In the and, email? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Let me try again. I just – Recently, recently, or it's on submittable from a little while back. Okay. Um, back. Is this a ghost off. whale? Yeah. Ah, okay. There we go. Unsubmittable. Okay. I found so it's, it. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, changed a little bit since then, but mm -hmm. so it's called um, Baki Kujira, which is a Japanese imaginary um, animal that is a whale, but it's only bones. Hmm. Um, it's a kind of a ghost whale. Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't ever heard of that. So this is called Baki Kujira. All we could see of Baki Kujira was the skeleton he floated in when that ghost whale breached the brine. Cosmic blue eels writhed inside him. Royal crested terns soared through his bones. We sharpened our harpoons, but he had no flesh to pierce. Monster, we cried as if to blame him for our cruelties. Whose phantom could he be? We cowered under tarps in our fishing boats and prayed. And when at last he yawed away, we scuttled back to our cozy port to wait. A ribbed moon arose. He floated in and beached. No meat, so we filled ourselves with marrow. We used to say back then, after feasting on the divine, we must preserve its remains. We buried him in a shrine hewn of cypress-stained vermilion. Some nights sweating, we still dream a ghost whale swims inside us, and we become the bones he floats within. Oh, another poem with a great ending. I love that. And the ghost whale is such a fascinating concept. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, Laura Berg with um, Bake Kujira. Hopefully I'm saying that relatively accurately, not a word I'm familiar with. Uh, but that's the name of a ghost whale in Japanese tales. Fascinating for the last week's prompt to write about a cryptid. That was great. Okay. And then um, let me to this uh, poetry marathon. Let me pull this up. It's thepoetrymarathon.com. So find that here. The goal, write one poem every hour for 24 hours straight. The reward, one, in one day you will write a chapbook worth of poems, an admirable achievement. So this is very interesting. Go to thepoetrymarathon.com, which is what we were talking about earlier on the show. I meant to share that link. Um, very interesting. 24 poems in 24 hours. All right. Let's go next to uh, Dick Westheimer. Hey, Tim. Hey, Dick. Boy, that, um, the two of you talking in the interview today, you are the perfect interviewer for... Um, for Pedro, that was really wonderful. Oh, that's great to hear. I, I just, I love Pedro. He's a fascinating person. So it was just fun to talk to him. I've talked to him before, of course, but, uh, but not in that, at that length. So it was really fun. Yeah, it was great. 
Um, I was reminded, I, I used to teach um, elementary school math. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the question that fourth and fifth graders ask is, how will I use this later in life? Uh-huh. <laughs> and my answer, and I, I think it resonated, you know, it, it, I, I taught for 16 years, was um, that it was a language, that you were now fluent in another language and mm-hmm. this is the language of philosophers and 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 you know as you become more fluent in it you you can have broader conversations in the world and i i, I think the fact that it was such an off-center answer um just <laughs> the kids threw up their hands and and said really you know it, it, it was an answer i think that many of them have thought about later but not at the time yeah I th- it's definitely true too it's a great answer to that question and, and definitely the way it is you know it is a language it's a way of thinking too a mode of being almost and so well and and i did you know i uh, katie said earlier you know she's not good at math but you know that's that's um that's treating it as like a subject rather than a language mm-hmm. and we, well, we, I'm not good at language. I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> not foreign language, uh-huh. but as, as another way of, you know, uh, yeah. communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. So um, to me, it's not a subject. It's just another, it's, it's just, an, uh, you know, another part of the language that we speak together. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so I think I'll read, I, I sent you two poets respond poems, but I think mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read the one I sent a revision in an email to you just a moment ago. Okay, the hurricane? Uh, yeah, the hurricane. Okay. Uh, just because it's sort of like in uh, uh, the never-ending story of me having no idea what a single poetic voice is. And <laughs> so somehow this one came out as a persona poem, which I've never, uh, you know, uh, written before this this felt a little Rachel Custer like in terms of you know adopting mm-hmm. only this this one is a farther away persona oh very interesting um, yeah let's hear it. it was just prompted by you know the confluence of the hurricane and the earthquake and near you when you were in Texas uh, it was I was in Texas kids were here and they felt the earthquake and thought it was fun <laughs> but they um did not that the hurricane was a was a dud they were like eh, it was like it rained all day <laughs> so oh wow. um, better better than beats the alternative it definitely does yeah. <laughs> yeah so this is the hurricane the earthquake rosie and me some said the storm caused the earthquake some said it was the gaze the seismologists say it was a deep thrust fault but all i know is the dishes clattered the dog twisted his chain so tight i had to call hank to help get it undone and all this talk about a hurricane has me going back to the book of revelation making sure i know the rules but i am no christian I'm nothing that I know of except mad as hell. My daughter Rosie's gone off. And if I find out that she's with that Carter girl again, I'll get down my I'll get down my 30 odd and go over to their place and let the barrel speak for me. The rain's picked up and I hear County Road 6 is closed now and I'm so fucking alone. The power's out, so I'm watching Fox on my phone and feel the house shake again. 
the panes rattle and waters seeping under the sills. This is real scary and grown man me just comes undone and in between one lightning flash and the next I know. I've got to call Rosie and tell her I'm sorry that me trying to keep her from loving on whoever shakes her bones is like supposing I can stop the wind with my fists. Yeah, great poem. I love that. I remember that from the poet respond. And um, it's fascinating, too. I saw a, a post on a, that somebody said, uh, watch out, earthquakes are coming because of the hurricane. And uh. it was like an urban legend or a myth, you know, that it's because of the water lubricating the fault. But it's actually true because of the electromagnetic effects of a, hur- of a big storm. It's kind of like a sunspot, but it's an earth spot. And then there's the piezoelectric effect, which, you know, electricity moving through the mantle. So it actually is tied together, but not in the way that uh, the the conventional wisdom thought. But very interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Dig. That tie was strange. Right as the hurricane came over, a five-pointer in Ojai, which is not too far away. Well, uh, thanks all, and and I've loved the the, the um, open mics tonight. Like the variety of poems, you know. You were talking a little bit about whether they were, you know, sort of faded, you know, like the m- memes in the background that, that uh-huh. come through that were always there, and um, it's just impossible. Like the infinite variety that we've heard in just ten poems tonight is, is yeah that's a great point it's like one of those things there's more possibilities than is like time in the universe like more more than an yeah. electron could flip or whatever yeah that, that, that's what it's felt like tonight just yeah. all the all the variety from a prompt and from the news it's it's just terrific for sure yeah well thank you i agree and uh, and the open lines just get better and better it's just one of the great things about the rattlecast and, and thanks for being a part of it always dick thanks bye yep, bye so dick westheimer with the hurricane the earthquake rosie and me uh, let's go to Nancy Tennell next. Hi, Tim. Hey, Nancy. Good to see you. This has been a great evening. It has. It definitely has. Oh, absolutely. I call this my poetry school. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Every that's, Monday. That's what we'd like it to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did pick a dictionary word from an actual Merriam-Webster mm-hmm. on, in the my old, my son's old room, left over from his college days, I guess. And and I landed on the word uh, paltry. Ah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, what will I do with that? But here's here's what I've got. Okay. Paltry, barest essentials, always in want, little to eat, body gaunt, sleeping rough, stooping low, faking tough to avoid a blow, sidewalk trash, swirls in the wind, shoe sole flaps, water seeps in, shelter at night, streets in the day, far from home, no other way, 18th and Main, hot meal for free, coat closet items, two short sleeves, Paltry assistance, diminished hope, dirty existence with paltry soap. Uh, very interesting. And that is, uh, is there a meter to that? I'm trying to figure out well, what it is. Well, I, I did do the uh, the rhymes mm-hmm. and, um, try, and you know, it's little um, four line, very short lines, mm-hmm. paltry lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Really meter. You, feel, you know, they feel the natural meter come out in the poem, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Nancy. All right. Yeah, thanks. That was paltry. 
or yeah, paltry. Not pol- I almost said poultry, and then I thought I did say poultry, but I actually said paltry. That's paltry by Nancy Zanel. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks. Okay, and then um, let's see. And next, let's go to uh, let's go to Giant Rongan. Hi, Tim. Hi. How are you tonight? Good. Um, I love the show because uh, I never thought you could use C G T A. <laughs> into a poem you know he's got another one that's really fascinating that we didn't um you'll have to uh, it was right across the page from that this is a sonnet um and you you can't see it you'll have to like glance at it back on the youtube screen uh, but i'll put it on the screen right now it's a sonnet that's only uses um punctuation marks but when you say like slash arrow um single quote dash like the dash rhymes with a slash. It's like an actual, <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to see it to, to you know, but it's, it's a sonnet with no words, but it actually is iambic pentameter in a Shakespearean sonnet, which is fascinating. He just comes oh up my. with the strangest things, that, that Pedro. I know. <laughs> um, to, today, uh, I'm going to read a prompt poem. Mm-hmm. But this is such an unusual word. I was looking up the meaning and um, I do not have a dictionary at home. Uh-huh. So this is online. And uh, do, do you have it? I sent it to you. Yeah, I have it on screen. It's um, Zagan Ruhe. Zugan, Zugan Ruhe, maybe. Yeah, this is a German word. It's called Zugan, Zugan Ruh. Um. Hmm, interesting. Well, I, I was I was not close, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I had to look it up mm-hmm. um, because I had no clue which language it belonged to and what it's trying to, um, uh, you know, what its meaning could be. Mm-hmm. So it turns out, and 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 the meaning comes through in the poem. The Migration anxiety, Zhugunru, uh, the migration anxiety that wants to hack, slash, wrench out to the land of Kampel, cross the mountains and shores, one mission, fly miles into unknown, with the genes map of geo boundaries, with the pairing ache of hunger and the bloat of gobble, the free miles vanish airborne by the wings. A brief breather in the flap and the gravity of dirt yanks the aerial extensions. The flock continues without a backwards glance. Oh, very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Zugan Roo, maybe. <laughs> the migration anxiety. Very interesting word. Interesting poem. Thanks for sharing that, Ajanti. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Have a good night. And then Mike Bales is next. Sorry, Mike. I I didn't see you there in the corner of the, the, the list. Sorry for missing you and hiding. saying we were done, but we um, got you still. So uh, how you I doing, like, Mike? Pretty good. Uh, this poem kind of reminds me of all the back and forth I'm doing to get out this book between the editor and me and the layout person. He tends to lay out things sometimes his own way. And I say, no, (laughs) Um, then sometimes 
the word pro the feature in word capitalizes lines that shouldn't be capitalized so there's a lot of back and forth um for anagram people i've got to mention dora malik has a great book of anagram poems it's called stead mm -hmm. which but this poem i took i heard something from a, one of your critique things where reverse the poem uh -huh. so i wrote this one way and reversed it where i worked backwards except when i came to the first stanza i kept it in the original order mm -hmm. and it's a poem called instant interesting okay go ahead Sailing a sea of imagination to see clouds as as ancient vessels, and reflections of the sun, the poem looks to endless skies. Of a blank page and the calling from the from desires created draft after draft. Into a greater hole in words when changing lines, a poem gets its hands dirty. Creating new form and shaving soil in its palms, it has all its needs the poem discovers the poem while taking a walk on a journey unknown trips and falls to the ground oh really interesting to see that reversed yeah that was an incident thanks mike okay thanks yep always a pleasure it's mike bales with uh, incidents all right well we are uh, coming up on time so that's perfect timing let's do the psyku really quickly and the psyku this week um another one written down the plane this was uh, based on, there were a whole bunch of, I, I wrote a bunch of Saiku. This one was the one that was sort of the most fun. And so I thought we'd share this one. Um, if you can see this, um, and again, I got to shrink. They really like to make, make phone-based. Okay, there we go. So, scientists solve mystery of why thousands of octopi, or octopus, <laughs> Migrate to deep sea thermal springs. I always thought octopi was a plural, but maybe not. Anyway, there's a beautiful uh, photo, too, of the octopus migrating to these thermal springs. And it turns out what they do, so, so thousands of these octopus off the coast of California migrate um, every year to lay eggs there. And the reason is because those nutrient-rich warm waters um, make their eggs mature faster. And so they're born more mature and more ready to like survive in the environment. And so the, uh, their offspring survive better by migrating to this thermal hot spring off the coast of California. So very interesting little, little, uh, haiku there. We got some video too, which we won't play, but we're, you know, off the coast of the, in the Davidson Seamount, there's this octopus garden, they call it. I love that phrase octopus garden. So, uh, here was the Saiku then inspired by that. Schoolyard, the octopus garden offshore. Schoolyard, the octopus garden offshore. That is your Saiku for the week, and that is the show for the week. Um, Katie Dozier is still here on the Zoom, so let's pull up Katie, and we can mention uh, the prompt for next week. Hey, Katie, are you still there? Hi. I am. Great Saiku. I'm so thrilled to learn that an octopus garden is a real thing. I thought it was just something the Beatles made up for their song, <laughs> but it's a real thing. It is, yeah, and it's, it's a little cute little guys all being born all at once, off the, right off, right off the water there. Aww. <laughs> so, uh, so what's the prompt for next week? This is inspired by Pedro. Uh, what do you got okay. for us? So next week, there were multiple this week that would have adhered, I think, to this prompt as it turned out, including my own. Um, but this is going to be to write a sonnet with a number in it. This uh -huh. has to contain a number and be a sonnet. Of course, we will give kudos to people who write sonnets that aren't our lazy American sonnets, but 
I'm one to talk as I tend to write lazy Americans. <laughs> well, you are American, so forgiven. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I so can't really escape sonnet, that one. <laughs> yeah, write a sonnet with a number in it. And like we said, we're going to be talking about meter on the poetry space on Thursday. And I had a really interesting interview with Annie Finch, who wants to get us out of the, the iambic sort of the uh, the the iambic patriarchy maybe or something which she was talking about it's just the way that that we're, we're sort of fixated on the i am but there's all this like anapestic meter and all sorts of different meters too it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to talk about meter in poetry uh the poetry space is always fun and now um x twitter uh, the artist formerly known as twitter allows uh <laughs> you don't need the app anymore so if anyone wants to participate they can find um find either my timothy green or katie underscore dozier on twitter and then find the link mm-hmm. to our space and just jump in and, and talk and share your opinions about meter. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading and discovering some metered poems that perhaps I haven't heard before, too. Yeah, definitely. We definitely read a lot of poems yeah. on the space. And, and I just I do like mm-hmm. formal poetry. So it's gonna be nice to, to have a, a topic that week. So thanks, Katie. Looking forward to that. And uh, thanks for sharing next week's prompt. Thanks for the awesome show tonight. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Katie Dozier, of course, our prompt poems editor. And that is going to be the show for this week. Now, uh, next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be Elizabeth McMoon Tatengo. Uh, you, you might recognize Elizabeth because she's been in, uh, she's won the Frastic Challenge several times. She's been in Poet Respond several times. She's also a librarian in our Librarian Poets issue, which we did a couple a couple years ago. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about she's a she's a short form type poet, um, a lot of haiku, um, a lot of um, you know just very short, tight little poems is what she likes to do. Her book is Various Lies, which is a few years old, but still very interesting. So we'll be reading poems from there and talking to Elizabeth, then doing the uh, prompt, write a sonnet with a number in it for next week's show, Rattlecast number 209, Monday, September 4th. The regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week. In the meantime, I will talk to you later. Good night.